The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. 1 Peter chapter number 3 for our scripture reading this morning. 1 Peter chapter number 3. As we are continuing our message series entitled 40 Days in the Word. So far throughout this series we've seen how God's Word is powerful and it can change our lives. We've seen how His Word is reliable. We looked at the different reasons that we can put our faith and trust in. In his word, we've seen how it's helpful, how it's stable. Last week, we saw how it's meaningful, how we can dig in and get the deep truths of the word of God. And this morning, we're going to see how God's word is shareable from 1 Peter chapter number 3. Stand with me, if you would, as we prepare to read the scripture this morning. Well, 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse 15 says, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. Be ready always to give an answer to every man. Well, we have had an interesting week in the Ermler household. A lot of just kind of, you know, interesting things taking place. Uh, Last week, my son was on his way to football practice. He's been uh, playing some Pop Warner football this year, and uh, so we were taking him in practice at Lions Park. How many of you know where Lions Park is? Right there on Marks and uh, between Ashland and Shaw. And so my wife was with him and our two other children, and uh, she drives one of these small little Fiats. Maybe you've seen these little Fiats driving around town or whatever, and she drives one of those, and, and she pulled into the parking lot at Lions Park, and, and for whatever reason, because the car is so small, she didn't pull all the way into the parking spot. She just kind of pulled in enough to where, you know, the car would fit, you know, because it's about one quarter the size of a normal car, and she pulled in. She opened the door, and it was like really cold that night, and uh, I don't know what happens. Fresno weather's crazy. It's like crazy hot one day, and then it's freezing cold. How many of you are just trying to figure out what, what's the weather like? And, and, and so my daughter, Ashlyn, she said, well, maybe uh, I'll just stay in the car. It's cold out. And my wife was kind of thinking maybe she would do the same thing as well, just because of how chilly it was. But my son, Landon, our youngest, he wanted to get out and kick the soccer ball around while my son, Anderson, was at football practice. And so my wife decided, you know, we'll just get out of the car. We'll, we'll sit here for a while and watch Landon kind of run around with the soccer ball. And And as they were sitting there watching football practice go on, all of a sudden in the distance coming down Marks Avenue, they heard just the most uh, kind of screeching tires. They could hear cars, you know, almost sound like they were racing down Marks. And if you know that area, you know, it's maybe something that maybe happens every once in a while. And as that car was coming toward the Lions Park, somehow they bumped. One of the cars lost control, and my wife began to watch as it hit the sidewalk, as it spun into the grass that started tipping upside down literally within about two feet of her car went by and landed on top of the four cars next to her in the parking lot and of course as you can imagine everybody's like what in the world is going on some guy jumps out of the car and just starts running away from the vehicle as as fast as he possibly could Uh, we were so thankful if practice would have been letting out just a few minutes early there would have been tons of children in that parking lot, and I'm sure there would have been some fatalities, but praise the Lord, uh, no one was killed, and this was earlier in the week, and you think about, man, what is going on in our world? A couple days later, all of a sudden, my kids are upstairs in our house, and and, uh, all of a sudden, they hear gunshots from their room, and they run downstairs, and they're like, mom, somebody's shooting outside, and so they run around, lock all the doors. Uh, Sure enough, and maybe some of you saw it on the news, less than 100 yards from our house, 
Uh, there was a drive-by shooting up there off of Herndon and Hayes, and uh, three people were shot. One person was killed, and for those of you who saw this, you know, last week on the news, literally our neighbor across the street from where we live, just 100 feet away, and, and, and you have things that are happening in your neighborhoods, and, and we watch the news of what's going on in our community. Uh, just a couple weeks ago with the horrible mass shootings that were taking place in Las Vegas and just all of the interracial tensions that are happening around our country. And I think as Christians, we step back and we say, what in the world is going on? You ever ask that question? Like, what, what is happening? And maybe the other question that we ask ourselves as Christians and as believers is, what do we do about it? You ever asked yourself that? I mean, like, what, what can we do in light of just the, the craziness that's just the violence, the racial tensions, the sin, the brokenness that exists in the world in which we live? And, and as a church and as a individual Christians, this is just a question that we're asking ourselves all the time. And, and really the question is, how do we go about in this context making the world a better place. I mean, as Christians, don't we feel a pull toward that a little bit? Like, like there's got to be something we can do to make this world just a little better. And I know there's a lot of different philosophies about how to go about making the world a better place. And, and there are people who, at the deepest part of their soul, believe that, you know, the answer is going to be found in politics, you know, and if we could just, you know, get the right person in office, and we can just pass the right laws, that, that'll, that'll be ultimately what heals our land. And, and while I say I'm thankful for good politicians that are uh, trying to push, you know, uh, good, wholesome values, and I'm thankful for them, I, I just need you to know that I don't ultimately put my hope for the future in politics. I'm thankful for good teachers in our school system. Some of you teach in our school systems, and I'm so thankful for you that you're willing just to get in there with these kids, oftentimes underprivileged, and, and just spend time with them and invest into them. But I'll just say, from my perspective, um, the hope for the future of America is not simply going to be found in just education. I don't know that all the problems we're dealing with in our world are something that just education in and of itself is going to fix. I don't think it's something that politics is going to fix. I know I have a bias as a pastor, but I'll just let you know up front. With every ounce of my being, I am thoroughly convinced that the answer for the hope of our future for the hope of future generations and the hope of our children lies in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm a firm believer that it's in Jesus Christ and himself that he's the one who can change the heart. He's the one who can change minds. He's the one that can literally transform communities and neighborhoods and, and, and cities from the inside out. Because Jesus can do what politics can't do. Jesus can do what education can't do. And that is he can change the heart. He can change the soul. He can change the inner side, the inner parts of man. And so that's what we're going to talk about here just a little bit today. If, if we had a theme for this sermon in regards of God's word being shareable, we, we've been talking all about God's word and different aspects of it. I want to simply say this, that sharing our faith is a vital aspect of living our faith. I hear a lot of Christians talking about, well, I want to I live my faith. 
I want to demonstrate my faith. That's an awesome thing. But it's really difficult to live out your faith if you are not also sharing your faith. Every once in a while, I'll hear the phrase, you know, share your faith and use words if necessary. <laughs> you know, that's like saying, well, eat healthy food, you know, and, and, and use food if necessary. It's like, you, can't, you know, it's almost impossible to share if you're not using your words to do so. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about how to take some time and two ways that we can share the word of faith of those around us. You say, why are we talking about this? Because based on the authority of the word of God, it is in sharing the gospel, sharing the faith of Jesus Christ that will ultimately impact our world for the better. And thank the Lord for all the other things that we can do. But let's pray that God gives us the grace, the strength, and the ability to share our faith with neighbors and coworkers and unsaved relatives, and that God would use us to, on a grassroots level, life on life, face to face, make a difference in the lives of singular individuals. And I believe if we'll do that, that if, if, if one life will affect one life, I believe it could change some families. I think if enough families are experiencing the grace and the power of God, I, I think that could change some churches. You show me some churches that are just getting passionate about God and the things of God. I think eventually that could change some neighborhoods. You see enough neighborhoods begin to change and be impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think eventually you could see some cities begin to change. You get enough cities that are being influenced and impacted by the word of God and the faith of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel. I think it could even change a state, even a state like California. Could you imagine if California saw a revival if a, if a place like California with Hollywood and San Francisco, and if you could, could you imagine if places like these, man, started to experience the power and the grace of God? Could you imagine what it could do for a country? I believe that the hope of our future, the hope of the children and, and grandchildren are going to be found ultimately in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that we have that I hope God will use to share with others. So two statements this morning. Number one, we can share the word through evangelism. We can share the word through evangelism. If you're taking notes, let me define this for you. We're defining evangelism as simply this. Pointing people to faith in Christ. God gives us, you and me, as Christians, as part of the local church, the opportunity to point people to faith in Christ. Now, I cannot save anybody. You cannot save anybody. Moms, you can't save your children. Dad, you can't save all your coworkers. We can't save our neighbors. But we can use our voices to point people to the one who can. And that's the person of Jesus Christ and the good news that's made available through the gospel. Evangelism in its simplest form is simply pointing people to Jesus and to faith in Christ. In the gospel of Mark, chapter number 16 and verse number 15, Jesus gave a statement just before he ascended into heaven. And here's what he says. He said, go ye. He's talking to believers. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to his disciples and he says, go ye, you, 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 you. Go into all the world and notice this, preach 
the gospel. This is not a verse that's simply given to pastors and evangelists and to missionaries. This is a verse that's given to every Christian that's a part of a local church. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The word gospel, it's kind of a churchy world, maybe for those of you who are newer to church. The word gospel simply means this, good news. That's what the word gospel means, good news. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to tell in every neighborhood, in every city, and every village, I want you to proclaim the good news that Jesus brings. That he offers eternal life in heaven for all of eternity. That he offers abundant life right here on planet earth. And an eternal life, an abundant life is the gift that he makes available through the person of Jesus Christ. That is the good news. That he makes available to you. Oh, we can share the word through evangelism. In this verse, Mark chapter number 16, it is often referred to as the great commission. The great commission. You say, why is it called the great commission? Because Jesus left one big job for us as Christians. One big job to us as churches. And that big job was to get the good news of the gospel. This gospel that transforms lives. This gospel that transforms marriages. This gospel, this good news that transforms families. He gives us that gospel. He gives us that good news. And he says, I don't want you to keep it to yourself. I don't want you to hold on to it. I want you to share it with coworkers. I want you to share it with neighbors. I want you to share it with loved ones. This is not a gift for you to hoard and to hold on to yourself. This is a gift I want you to share with everybody that comes around. And so it is called the Great Commission. It's a commission we've been given by God himself to share with the world around us. This is why it's called the Great Commission. Hudson Taylor, who was one of the first Christian missionaries to go to China over a hundred years ago, he said this regarding Mark chapter number 16. He said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. It's not an option. This thing of us giving the good news to unsaved loved ones, giving the good news to our neighbors, to people that we work with, it is not an option that we can sit back and consider as to whether or not we're going to participate in. It is a command to be obeyed. In the first service, I, I was looking around and uh, right here about where Miss Barbara Church was sitting, there was a young couple, Ricky and Adrena. A few weeks ago, they had visited the church for the first time and as the preaching went forward, their heart was stirred and afterwards they had asked if somebody could show more from the Bible about how they could put their faith in Christ and experience both abundant life that he offers, but also the hope of eternal life. I took them over to where our offices were, and for the next 30 minutes, I opened up the Bible and began to show them how regardless of their past and regardless of whatever they had done, God loved them. He adored them. In fact, he loved them so much that in the midst of their sin... And in the midst of their brokenness, Jesus was there for them. I hate to do this. Hunter, do you mind grabbing me a drink or something? I don't know why my throat is just, I'm about to, about to lose it here in just a moment. <coughs> 
And as I was sharing the gospel with them, and we were just going through the Bible a little bit, um, we began to go to the passage that talked about how, how God came to us in the flesh. Thank you so much. He didn't come to this world simply to show the world a better way to live or as some great teacher to kind of just kind of pass along some divine knowledge. No, God came to this earth in the flesh literally to take the punishment of our sin upon his own shoulders. He went to the cross and died literally taking the penalty, the pain of all of our sin, the punishment for all of our sin. And he died in our place. Think about that for a moment. He took the consequences that we deserved. And then in its place gave us all the rewards that were his. It was called the divine exchange. He took our penalty. We got all the riches of his grace. And by simply putting your faith and trust in him, you can experience the eternal life that's made possible through the one called Jesus. We can share the word through evangelism. Now let me say this. There really is no joy in the world like the joy of pointing a person to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and maybe you've started to lose some of the joy of your salvation, I would encourage you to pray and ask God for the grace to point others to Jesus. There's something really, really special when God uses you and your voice to draw somebody closer to the person of Jesus. And this really is the baseline of how we make the world a better place. Sometimes I'll be talking to people in the church Excuse me for a moment. <clears throat> and they'll get really surprised when they're watching the news. How many of you ever surprised? You watch something on the news or you hear about something in the community. And you're thinking, man, how in the world can these people do such things? And what's this world coming to? People will get surprised with what people in the world are coming to. And I just want to say to you as Christians, as the church, I'll just be honest. I don't really get surprised when unsaved people who don't have God in their life act like unsaved people who don't have God in their life. What else would we expect from somebody who doesn't experience God? See, in the church we use words like, well... Except for the grace of God, I wouldn't be able to be what I am today. I wouldn't be able to do what I do today. It's only by God's grace. Or we'll say something along the lines of, I could never be what I need to be without God's strength and with his help. Can I say this? If that is true and you honestly believe that, and I think you should because that's what the scriptures teach, then how can you expect anybody that does not have Christ to be able to meet some moral expectation that you have. I don't get surprised when unsaved people act like unsaved people. It doesn't surprise me. I don't like it. But it doesn't shock me. I'll be honest. The only hope that our future has is for people to begin to experience the grace of God in their lives. 
by putting their faith and trust in him. And the way that's going to happen is because there are people who are sharing the word of faith through evangelism, pointing people to faith in Christ. We can share the word through evangelism. Let me give you a second statement here today. We can share the word through discipleship. Share the word through discipleship. If evangelism is pointing people to faith in Christ, then discipleship, by definition, is helping people to grow in their faith in Christ. So once people have put their trust in Christ, we don't just kind of wipe our hands and leave them there. How many of you, when your kids were born, they were born, they're at the hospital, three days old, you kind of wiped your hands and said, all right, kids, you're on your own. (laughs) No. A, A baby, an infant needs somebody to come alongside and nurture them. And take care of them, not just for a couple of days, but for weeks and months. We have some folks in here that are probably going to be brand new parents over the next couple of weeks. We have several folks that are expecting right now. And you're going to, in a few days, you're going to have a baby. And that baby is going to need years and years and years and years of being taken care of and supported and helped. It's the same way for a baby Christian. Once they place their faith in Christ, they need folks to come around them and to help, here's the word the Bible uses, disciple them. 2 Timothy 2.2, the apostle Paul talks about this and he, he gives some advice to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And he says this in 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, Timothy, the things that you have heard of me, those things that I've taught you, those things that I've been instructing you in, he says, those things which you've heard of me, he says, I want you to commit, to share those things with other faithful men. He says, that's your role. But notice, he goes on and says, who will then be able to teach some other people also? Get get what Paul is saying. He's saying, Timothy, everything you've heard of me, I want you to pour into somebody else's life. But he says, I want you to pour it into their life in such a way that they also know how to pour it into somebody else's life. This is the backbone of what discipleship really is. I heard one theologian say it this way, and it's strong language, but I believe it's true. Christians are either making disciples or they're making excuses. Which do you make? It's the Great Commission. It's it's the big job that we have as believers to share the faith with others. You say, no, that's a pastor's job. No. My job, according to what the scriptures say, is to equip the church so you can do the work of the ministry. Now, as a Christian, I'm going to join you in that because I'm also a Christian. But it's not my job to do it. That's, that's my job because I'm a Christian, not because I'm a pastor. My job as a pastor is to help you do it too. <laughs> that's my role. See, you can be a Christian without discipling. Because all you have to do to be a Christian is place your faith in Jesus Christ. But if you want to be a full-fledged disciple, a full-fledged follower of Jesus, that's yielding to his lordship in every aspect of your life, then you've got to make disciples. Because disciples make disciples. 
A true disciple of Jesus Christ is one who's sharing their faith and helping others grow. They're pouring the word into their children. They're pouring the word into their grandchildren. They're pouring the word into their loved ones. They're trying to take opportunities when it's right and appropriate to pour the word into co-workers' lives and into neighbors' lives and into acquaintances. That's what disciples do. Disciples take opportunities to pour the word of faith into the lives of other people. That's the heartbeat of discipleship. Earlier this year, in, in January, February timeframe, I had the a privilege of being able to formally and intentionally disciple a young couple that's been coming to our church uh, for a couple of years. And, and I had the opportunity with Alfredo and, and Reina, and, and we got together every week, and we just started studying our Bibles together, and they would ask questions, and I would do my best to answer those questions. And, and we would talk about all kinds of things, marriage, and we'd talk about the Word. And, and yet, through it all, I kept emphasizing the fact that what you're learning, you're responsible to share with somebody else. And every week we would talk about it. That's what it means to be a disciple. You can't just take it in. You've got to give it out. And man, every week we would talk about that. And regardless of whether we were talking about marriage or parenting or, or the church or whatever it is that we were studying formally, I kept wanting them to realize the heartbeat of 2 Timothy 2.2. I wanted to teach them so that they would also know how to teach somebody else. And then I would ask them a question. Is there any questions that you have? So when you've got to tell somebody else about this, you'll understand it. And they'd be like, oh yeah, what about this? Or what if somebody asked that? Or what should we do? Well, what was interesting is when they got done somewhere around the springtime, they invited a couple to church. I told you their names earlier in the service, Ricky and Adrena, that one that I had the opportunity of leading to Christ. It was Alfredo and Reina who invited them to church. Just, hey, can I, can I invite you to experience and learn more about Jesus? But what's interesting is even though Alfredo and uh, Reina just really just a few months ago went through formal discipleship themselves, Right now, they're currently taking Ricky and Adrena through discipleship in a formal and an intentional way. They're teaching them the Bible the best they know how. And I've talked to them about it, and sometimes he doesn't even always know the answers to everything, but he just, he just teaches what he knows. And that, my friend, is the heart of what it means to be a disciple. You see, discipleship is not about filling up everybody else's cup spiritually see this is what scares us a little bit we think oh if i'm going to help somebody else then i've got to know everything there is about the bible and everything there is about spirituality and everything there is about the things of god i've got to fill up everybody's cup no it's not your responsibility to fill up everybody's cup but it is your responsibility to empty yours whatever it is that you learn from church and a sermon Find somebody you can share it with. When you go to Bible study or connection groups and you take something in, it's your responsibility then to pour it back out. If you're in the Word on a Monday morning or a Thursday morning and God gives you something, then it's your responsibility to share whatever it is the Spirit gave you with somebody else. That is the heartbeat of a disciple. A disciple's not running around looking to fill up everybody's cup, but a disciple is looking for every opportunity to empty theirs, to pour out what they've learned and pour out how they've grown to children and grandchildren and, and neighbors and loved ones and relatives. Just taking, they don't have to answer everybody's questions. And they don't have to know it all, but what they do know, they have a heartbeat to share with others. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, 
I really, my heartbeat is to be a spiritually mature. I think for probably 99% of you, that's your heartbeat. You want to be spiritually mature. Let me share for just a moment three stages of spiritual maturity that I find in the scriptures that I hope will help you understand what spiritual maturity is and, and maybe a little bit of what it is. And, and this is not exhaustive, but I hope it'll give you some insight. And in order to help you understand it, I want to use the illustration or the metaphor of a, of a young person, a child, a toddler, an infant who's growing physically. So when a baby is born in, in its first few months of life, maybe as it gets to be one year old, there comes a moment where you're going to have to open up a jar of baby food or whatever the case may be. You take that little spoon, you put it into the peas, that, whatever that healthy food is, and then you've got to try to get your kids to eat it. How many of you with kids have ever had this experience before? You know, trying to get the kids to eat this food, all right? You know it's healthy for them, you know it's good for them. And that child at some point has to allow themselves to be fed. They don't know how to cook food themselves. If they tried, they'd probably really hurt themselves. And so they depend on a mom or a dad to cook food, to prepare food, to get it ready so that they can receive it. And, and that child, in order, if they're going to mature, if they're going to grow physically, they have to allow themselves to be fed. It's a very dangerous thing when a little baby infant who's two or three or four weeks old uh, won't eat. And we've all heard stories of little children, for whatever the case, maybe sickness, maybe disease, uh, they won't eat. It's, it's a bad thing. But if that child is going to mature, they've got to allow themselves to eat. It's the same way for a believer. If you're going to begin the growth journey, then you've got to put yourself in positions where you're allowing yourself to feast on the word of God. The Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone. This is the gospel of Matthew. But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This is how we begin to grow as believers. We've got to allow ourselves to be fed. And I am so proud of each and every one of you here today because you are putting yourself in a position to be fed from the word of God. And some of you will go beyond and you'll go to connection groups and, and you'll put yourself in a position where you allow yourself to be fed. And others of you, you'll go to Bible studies and you'll put yourself in a position where you're allowing yourself self to be fed. Some of you will go to one-on-one discipleship Bible studies and, and with another individual, you'll put yourself in a position where you allow yourself to be fed and, and maybe you'll even listen to some sermons or you'll listen to the word on the radio and you put yourself in a position where you allowed yourself to be fed. And that's a good and that's a wonderful, that's a great thing that will help you grow. And I call it stage one of biblical maturity. But I want to say this, it's not enough. And I'm sorry that there are a lot of churches and a lot of pastors. I take the blame for this. And somehow we've gotten across the idea that if you come to church once a week and you sit there and you listen to a sermon and you take in the word, that, man, you get a high five and a big star because you're a spiritually mature Christian. And I want to say this, while this environment is a good thing, it's not the epitome, it's not the apex of spiritual maturity. Because just as if you're going to grow physically, there comes a time where you kind of got to have to learn how to feed yourself. How many of you moms got really excited when your kids started to feed themselves? And they knew how to make breakfast for themselves. And maybe they knew how to cook up a meal, make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for themselves. That's kind of a big deal when your kids get to a place where they can start to feed themselves a little bit. In fact, if after a while, if you don't know how to feed yourself, you're going to get really, really hungry. And, and part of physical maturity is learning how to feed yourself. It's the same way spiritually. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
There comes a moment where if you're going to grow spiritually, you can't just expect a pastor and people you go to Bible study to always be feeding you. There comes a place where you've got to kind of have to learn to feed yourself from the Word of God. And on Monday mornings and on Friday afternoons, you're in the Word. And like Pastor Nick talked about last week, you get some study tools and you begin to dive into the Scriptures and you begin to feed yourself from the Word of God. And that's a wonderful part of biblical maturity is when you learn to feed yourself. That's what this 40 Days in the Word is all about. We're trying to create an environment where you're developing the habit of feeding yourself from the word of God. Feeding yourself. But I don't want to stop there. Because in most churches, if you're one of these people who spends time in the Bible every day and you do Bible studies and you go to church, you'd be, you'd be, like, you'd be like the spiritual epitome of what it means to be a mature Christian. And I want to just say this. While it is so good to put yourself in a position to feed yourself, and you should do that biblically. And while you should put yourself in a position where you're feeding yourself as well, and that's a good thing and you should be, there's another stage of maturity that is so, so vital if you're going to continue to grow. A lot, I know a lot of Christians who start plateauing right here. Because they think the epitome of spirituality, biblical spirituality, is just feeding themselves, and it's not. As you go to 2 Timothy 2.2 and other passages, you're going to find that there's another stage of spiritual maturity. And that's not just allowing yourself to be fed. That's not just even learning to feed yourself. But it's when you get to a point where you learn to feed other people. How many of you moms, you had to get to a place where you started, maybe you got married, or maybe you, you guys, you got married, and eventually it came time where you had to learn how to cook, not just for yourself, but you had to learn to cook for your spouse, and then you had to learn to cook for, food, for, uh, for your uh, kids. How many of you have ever had people over to your house, guys, and you've barbecued for some other folks that came over to your house? Part of maturing kind of in the physical realm is eventually learning how to learn to cook and feed for others. Take care of other people. That, that's what it means to be kind of mature as a human being. You're not just focused on yourself, but you're focused on others. It's the exact same way in the spiritual realm. The things that thou hast heard of me, hey, you took it in. You allowed yourself to be fed. The saying, you teach to somebody else. And teach them in such a way that they can teach somebody else also. Now, we understand this in the physical realm. There are some things that you can only deeply understand as you're teaching to somebody else. If you're a teacher in this room, you know this. That when you have to teach something, when you have to share something with somebody else, it forces you to understand it on a much deeper level. When you've got your kids always asking you questions, Mom, how does this work? And how does that work? And Mom, answer this. When you're always getting questions and you have to be a teacher, it forces you to understand it. It forces you to have to wrestle with it much more deeply. And in the process, you begin to understand it in ways you'd never understood it before. When you're teaching other Christians the word and you're pouring into somebody else's life, all of a sudden they're going to ask you questions from different perspectives. I never thought about it like that before. I'll have to dig in and study a little bit more. They'll ask you questions that you, you never had. And all of a sudden, you're going to have to study a little bit more and dive into it a little bit more. And you're forced to grapple with it. You're forced to wrestle with it in ways you don't have to when you're just here allowing yourself to be fed. 
questions you might never have as you're just kind of feeding yourself, it will force you to understand it more broadly. It'll force you to understand it more richly. It'll force you to understand it more deeply. And this is one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is so big on you teaching others also. It's not just for them. It's not just for your children. It's not just for your grandkids. It's not just for those who need biblical growth. Can I say this? It's also for your maturity and sanctification. You need what happens in your life when you're pouring into other people the word. One of the reasons people grow stagnant in their Christian life is because they get to this place where they're feeding themselves and they think they've arrived. And I've seen so many Christians get to this point where they come to church all the time, taking in, you can feed me, I'll go to Bible studies, uh, I'll go do this, and they're taking in and being fed. And they'll even get to this place where they're feeding themselves. I read the Bible Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and they're like, and then they come to me and they're like, I just feel like I'm stagnating. Because there's a, there's a place Maturity is about learning to give back. There is a joy in evangelizing. There is a joy in discipling. There is a joy in giving back. There's a richness in living your Christianity and sharing it with others that none of these other two stages can provide. I don't say these words to make you feel guilty or condemned. I say it because I want your joy to be full. Because I want you to experience the depth and the riches of what spiritual maturity is. There is a time, maybe you're a baby Christian, you just came to faith in Christ. Hey, take some time just to allow yourself to be fed. That's the stage of life you're in. You're not expecting your two-year-old to cook dinner for your extended family at the family reunion. If you're a baby Christian, then live in that stage. But if you're starting to get comfortable with that, that might be a sign that it's time to move on to stage two and start feeding yourself. If you're one of these Christians and you've gotten comfortable with feeding yourself, beware because comfortability quickly turns to apathy. And it might be a sign that it's time for you to step out of your comfort zone, do something that is a little bit scary for you, and start pouring into the lives of other people. It's this third stage of spiritual maturity as we close today, I want to say to you, we can change the world. I think what 2 Timothy 2.2 reminds us, this strategy of what you've learned, teach it to somebody else in a way that they can teach somebody else. This is such a great, this is a great process for us to impact the world because we can look around and say, how are we going to do this thing? With the world going crazy, how can a place like ambassador, how can we really change the world? Let me show you a graph that I hope will help you understand this a little bit. Imagine if just one of you in this room today, just one, not all of you, not everybody from the first service, not everybody in this service, just one from, said, you know what, I'm going to get serious about this thing of the Great Commission, pointing people to Jesus and helping them grow in their faith. And so for the next year, you just said, I'm going to find one person that I can pour into, but not just pour into, but I'm going to pour into them away so that when that year's done, they will know how to empty their cup to their best of their ability as well. Say we all started this on January 1st, and for the next year, 2018, you just, one person in this room pours into one other person. By the end of 2018, you will have now two people who are radically committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those two people say, all right, here's what we're going to do. 
You go find one person to point to Jesus and help them grow in their faith. I'm going to go find one person to go point to Jesus and help them grow in their faith. And by the end here of 2019, there's now four people who are radically committed to the gospel and the Great Commission. Well, as though four people teach four more people, not just teaching them the word, but teaching them how to pour and empty their cup into somebody else, the following year you'll have eight people. And then the following year, you have 16 people who are radically committed to sharing their faith. You begin to extrapolate this, and at first, it's not very much, 32, 64. Man, it takes us nine years before we're like at 250 people. It's like, man, this is taking so long. But through a law called exponential growth, as we start moving forward into year 13 and 15 and 17, all of a sudden it starts getting into the thousands and the tens thousands, the hundred thousands, and then millions become 10 millions. If you take what we talked about, one reaching one and pouring their life into one other people, then two reaching two, pouring their life into two, just taking 2 Timothy 2.2 and just actually believing it. Get this, in less than 34 years, mathematically we could reach our entire world world with the gospel of Jesus Christ before most of you pass away. God's plan is doable if we'll do it. Some of you have been saved for five and 10 and 15 years and you've never surrendered and allowed God's grace to intentionally and formally allow you to pour into the life of one other person. And I want to challenge you with this. Ask God for the grace to lean into that this year. I'm not talking about finding 10 people or 100 people. I'm talking just one. One person that you intentionally and formally pour your soul into. And and notice what the passage says. It says find a faithful person. Find somebody who's serious about this. Find one person who really wants God and to experience and hungry for him and pour and empty your cup into that person. Teaching them how to then pour their cup into somebody else's life. And I'll say this, we can change the world. Because God's word is shareable. We can share it through evangelism, pointing people to Jesus. We can share it through discipleship, helping them grow in their Christian faith. My friend, this church could change the world if we just got serious about what Jesus said. We started that analogy with one person. What if just 10% of us got serious about it? 10% from first service and second service said, you know what, we're, what Jesus said, we're just going to believe and we're going to appropriate the grace to do. Do you realize we could fast forward the process by almost 10 years? We could do this in less than 25 years. Imagine just for a moment if, if we said, you know what, not only does 10% do what if one of us says, you know, I, I could do this with more than one person. I, I could maybe take two people this year. And we just cut it in half. Uh, you say, why are you saying this? I'm saying this because I want you to know 
that I know the world seems crazy and there's car wrecks and there's violence and there's mass shootings and racial tensions and just wars and all this. I know it's crazy, but I want you to know that God's word gives us a solution. And it's not necessarily politics and it's not necessarily education, but it's in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power to transform people's motives and transform their values and transform their thinking and transform their priorities and transform the inner part of what makes them them, them, I'm telling you what, on a grassroots level, we can change the world if we will simply believe Jesus. That's our hope. That's our hope. So I leave you with this. I leave you with a dare. Dare to share. It's not your job to save. Only God can do that. But every one of us can be a witness and just say, like that I love in the New Testament, I, there's that one man who was healed. And they were asking him, is Jesus good or is Jesus bad? And basically his response was, I don't know if Jesus is evil and I don't know if he's good. All I know is this, I used to be blind, but now I can see <laughs> And that's what we have to offer the world. We, can, we don't have to have all the theological things put together. We don't have to be able to answer every question in the scripture. There might be things you do not know. But you can say this. All I know is my life was broken and now it's healed. All I know is my marriage was falling apart and God's doing something to put it together. All I know is my children were struggling and God's done what only God can do. I was blind but now I see. And all he needs is a witness and he'll do the saving. God can change the world through simple voices. He can change the world through simple people. He can change the world through us. And he wants to use us and desires to use us, but we've got to dare to share. Let's allow God to do through us what only God can do. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.